Hello and welcome to Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by and for millennial and Gen Xer types from a left-wing perspective. It's Saturday, September 1st. Yes, it is September already. Where did summer go? It hasn't left here in Colorado. It's still very hot out because there's no such thing as climate change or something. Yes. Uh, anyway, I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. So much to talk about today. That we'll get to it all, but let's start with uh, something that we've kind of done from time to time and a movie review. Oh, yes. Okay. Let's do that first. So last night we went out and saw Black Klansman, mm-hmm. the new Spike Lee movie based on a true story about a uh, black detective in Colorado Springs, of all places, just an hour down the road here, who went and infiltrated the Klan, basically on his own volition. Um, and Spike Lee tells the story. Took some dramatic liberties, of course, as film adaptations often do. But we're going to talk about it a little bit. And, um, yeah, it was uh, interesting. Yeah, it's it was, yeah. I mean, it was great, I think. Uh, <laughs> it was an entertaining movie. I think we can agree on that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Spike Lee, as we were saying yesterday, does not operate in subtleties at all or nuance no um so it's very intense it's very in your face it's very um makes a lot of connections to how we got where we are today um and how little things have changed really this movie um the story the guy ron stallworth um wrote a book and that's what this is at at this film is adapted from um this was back in the 70s i want to say early 70s yeah 72 um, or so so ron was the first um black police officer in the history of the colorado springs police department um he came in as a rookie um and within, from what I understand, just a few months, um, he saw this. Well, there was a lot of racism going on in the police department, too. No. Imagine that. <laughs> um, and uh, he wasn't being treated very well by his fellow officers, as you can imagine. Um, and he saw this uh, ad in the local paper, the Gazette, which still exists, I believe, in some oh, yeah. incarnation. Yeah, it does. Um, for. The Ku Klux Klan, it just said, like, Ku Klux Klan. Join us. If you would like to join us or have some reading materials, please call this number. <clears throat> and so he did. Yeah. Um, And some guy answered, and he used his white voice. Um, from what I understand, that's just sort of how he talks, but... Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was... that. Well, I, I haven't read the book in full. I've no. read parts of it, and I've heard of this guy, and I've, like seen a documentary on him and, and like I've kn- I've known the story for many years mm-hmm, me too uh, and bits and pieces it's always seemed like what that can't be a thing yeah but and, and yeah no he talks very very proper King's English as he describes it in the yes. movie you know he's that kind of guy and then it's it was very reminiscent of uh, of course, also produced by Jordan Peele. Sorry to bother you with the whole white voice thing yeah. and fooling people on the phone and making yeah. them comfortable. Yeah. And it was like a lot of those same themes were just carried over to this movie. Um, and, and then so how how it kind of works, I'm not going to give spoilers because. Yeah. But how it sort of works, because you, you can't be a black clans member, right? <laughs> so he. Um, yeah, it was like let's hear the Dave Chappelle skit. Remember? Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. Uh, so he does all the phone calls with the the clan and then he um gets the help of one of his white um 
Pierce, officers, played by Adam Driver, played by Adam Driver, who I just love, which was problematic in the sense of the movie and that their voices are not anything similar. No. and I think he like they brush it aside by saying, "Oh, I have allergies today." Yeah, or something. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They kind of don't address it that much. <laughs> yeah, because um, Adam Driver's voice is wildly different from yeah. the uh, the guy who plays Ron, whose name I can't remember, and we'll have to the actor. I, mm-hmm. I forgot to. Um, but he was great. They were. It was really the performances I thought were great. Yeah. Um, yeah. The movie itself, I thought, was good um, and really kind of uh, punchy in the face. Yeah, well, like a lot of Spike Lee movies, not all of them, but some of them, it, it has sort of this almost lighthearted tone, despite everything's happening, and then all of a sudden in the climax, everything just melts down and gets very brutally intense and horrifying and terrible. <laughs> and but, I, but not in a way that isn't true of life. Right, right. I mean, no, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. Is, is I think that he's trying to make a bigger theme in these movies that you can go along with your life, and but in the end, like there's these terrible things happening, and and like racism is real and violent and ugly, and, and eventually deadly the, the toll and, will be paid. Yes, yeah, it, it'll all come to a head. Yeah, and and it does in life, and it does in his movies, and that's what happens here. And then he intermixes not very not subtle at all current events and shots at Trump and. The new footage of Charlottesville and the the, the <clears throat> avowed racists that feel the safeness, as we've talked about, to come out of the woodwork in this present political climate. And it's the perfect time for this movie and the perfect time for these messages. And it very much makes sense for us. There's, I think, it the movie beat you over the head a little yeah, bit for sure. But it was like not subtle. It was like no, really hamfisted, like yeah. just like. Like, this is Donald Trump, basically. They, <laughs> like, okay. they, they worked Trump okay. quotes verbatim into the script yes. in the context of the script. But we discussed this like your average movie going popcorn shoving into their mouth masses. White like, person. We'll sit there and be like, oh, oh, oh I get that it. That sounds like the president. Yeah. Is he racist? Yeah. Yeah. And Spike Lee so maybe, understands that. Maybe. And, you know, uh, we've talked about this before when we went to see Sorry to Bother You. Um, Watching these films with primarily black casts telling black stories from black filmmakers um, in theaters with white audiences is very uncomfortable for me because I feel like they're just missing the fucking point. They're just not getting the point, and it's very like I'm just well, gonna like yell and scream. And in, in, in this case, the first like twenty minutes, there was like awkward white people laughing. Oh, the was first like, hour. Oh, I- the first they're talking hour. about race and this is uncomfortable so we're gonna giggle a little bit and like sort of laugh at the wrong jokes and um, I it, was like was god like, I fucking hate watching movies with white people the first whole half of the movie yeah. was like and then that. the theater was piously silent for the third act yeah. I mean not a peep was heard by anybody it was like oh fuck well I think a lot of dumb people are dumb white peers thought they were going to see a comedy a black guy that infiltrates the clan i remember seeing that on dave Chappelle's show this is gonna be funny yeah and so I, yeah but the yeah they got it and, and then At spike the lee end. sets them up spike lee he gets, did not la- allow them the space to not get it yeah is the thing yeah he made them go oh and then maybe they leave the theater and they don't think about it for more than five minutes i hope not but they had to think yeah, about it while they sat minutes, in those seats. Five minutes more than they were thinking about it before. Yeah, yeah. So and just think about the privilege of that. You can walk out of that theater people. and not think about it anymore. And reminding people, like again, I don't want to give spoilers, but um, there's some very direct stuff in there 
that happened in the wake of Charlottesville that everybody was kind of aghast and shocked about for a week and then kind of just forgot about it and went on with their lives. And Spike Lee's like, no, 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 that happened. We can't forget about it. We can't ignore it. It means something. Right. So and it's, hats off. It's a direct... Um, a direct effect of the themes of the film, the reason right. that Charlottesville happened. And we, of course, cannot, it's ever pervasive sort of in our lives, the Charlottesville thing. Um, but for everybody else in the theater, which felt weird to watch that with, with those people, but, um, but, but for everybody else, yeah, like, no, fuck you. You don't get to just not think about this. And, and Spike Lee had sort of a tough job when he's, he's portraying the Klansmen, like, <laughs> He kind of portrayed portrayed them as bumbling idiots and weirdos, mm-hmm. but also like, well, they're still dangerous. Yeah. Right. Because right because the cops in the movie are like, well, I don't think they yeah, actually they, do they that, and they're the, not really this, and they're not really that, and then and, and that's an old argument, right? right. Even Radiolab, uh, there was an episode where these old white guys wanted to blow things up, and they yeah. kind of sat there and were like. You know, geez, should we have really gone all the way with the you know undercover FBI prosecuting these guys? They're just old men and they're incompetent. It's like, dude, no, it, it's not that hard to fashion a bomb and and injure or kill people horribly. It, yeah. It's just not that difficult. It's not that sophisticated. No, it's certainly not sophisticated to walk to Walmart, buy a gun, and shoot up a, a school or a church or a sidewalk. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of themes going on. Like, the more I think about it, the more there was so much more going on in this movie than just the story of this black dude that infiltrated the clan. Right. So go right. see it. It's if great. you haven't seen it yet, don't use your movie pass though, because apparently you can't, even though it's been out for three weeks. Yeah, the movie <laughs> oh, pass whatever. experiment failed. I think. Oh well. So, Too bad. but anyway, it's worth the ten bucks. Go see it. Okay. Um, What's next on our list of eighty-five things? It's Labor Day. It's Labor Day on Monday. It's Labor Day weekend. Okay. And, um, you know, I think we sometimes forget what that is, right? Yes. And why, what is Labor Day? And why do we celebrate Labor Day? And in that vein, you know, it's about workers and workers' rights. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason you have a weekend at all is because Yeah, not of just a Labor Day weekend, a weekend A weekend period. period. A Saturday and a Sunday, or days off, if you don't have a Saturday and a Sunday off. And an eight-hour workday. And an eight-hour workday, and paid lunch breaks, and paid some, sick some leaves for some, for some people. I mean, the only reason that you have any of that is because of unions, and because of radical social movements that said, capitalism is bullshit, <laughs> and, uh, and we're not going to um, take the exploitation of workers. Right. Or if we're going to take part in this and not just overthrow everything and have a, you know, a collectivist uh, centralized economy state, then Which is what I prefer. We, yes, but it, short of that, we, we need some goddamn rights. Yeah. And even that now they're kind of sick of and they're clawing it back yep. and people are voting for it. People that work, working stiffs, go out and vote yeah. to erase the, their rights. The right has been incredibly effective at neutralizing the uh, labor movement. Um, but in that vein, I would like to talk about something that's really, really fucking important and um, not being covered at all, really, by most mainstream media. I haven't seen it on any American um, publications other than yesterday, The Atlantic. The Guardian's been covering it pretty ferociously, um, which is the prison strike that is currently happening in the United States and Canada. And this is really important and near and dear to us and and what matters to us um, 
So prisons should be abolished pretty much, period. But again, since that's not an option, um, prisoners, their advocates and their families have been organizing this strike for the last, I think, year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, to They have 10 demands, um, the primary one of which is the one that relates to Labor Day, which is that prisoners are used um, as... Slave labor. Slave labor in prisons. Um, Prisons would not be able to function without the labor of prisoners. Which the Constitution basically allows. No, (laughs) it doesn't. The 13th Amendment specifically prohibits it. Um, However, um, there's like a loophole because... Well, that's what I mean. Right? Sort of. But they would argue that there isn't. um, That the 13th Amendment's pretty clear. In Colorado, we had a vote last... um, Last election, uh, not 2016, but the last um, election locally, um, to alter the Colorado state constitution to specifically prohibit slave labor inside prisons. Yeah. And it passed. Um, so what they're demanding is that prisoners who do labor, and it's, sometimes it's compulsory. Sometimes they're not given a choice whether or not to do labor. That's not the case in Colorado, but in a lot of states it is. Yeah. In Louisiana, for example, it's compulsory, and they're paid four cents an hour at Angola. Angola is one of the um, kind of uh, the starting points, sort of one of the, the centers of, of where this movement started. Um, so through prisoner networks, um, prisoner advocacy uh, organizations and families and, and supporters, um, word has spread for the last year and a half. The strike started on August 21st and is set to go through September 9th. Um, this strike is not just a labor strike, but also a food strike for many of the prisoners. Um, and what what that means basically is that they're refusing to do to to be slaves to the prison system, and that means not just I'm not going to mop the floor, I'm not going to make the food, I'm not going to clean, I'm not going to do the lawn, but also like a lot of prisoners in in prisons around the country perform actual like manufacturing labor, yeah, um, for which private companies make profit. Oh yeah, from products that these prisoners are producing that are they're manufacturing them and they're being paid like 24 cents an hour um whereas if the the private company was forced to go into the labor market and pay minimum wage they'd be paying at least 7.25 an hour and in some states much more so the prisoners all they're saying is you have to pay us the prevailing minimum wage of whatever locality we're in seems fair to me seems fair to me i don't know why private companies should be profiting off of prison labor. They I don't know why that makes sense. absolutely should not. It doesn't, why? Why? How is that a thing that should ever happen? I mean, they can profit off of prison labor, but they should profit off of prison labor the same way they would profit off of anyone else's labor. Just because they're in jail does not make them not human. Doesn't make them not citizens, doesn't make them not human beings deserving of the same wage that anyone else doing that job living in that place would make. Period. And so that's the primary thing that they're going for. Secondarily... <clears throat> They're going for things like um, more money toward rehabilitation, more money toward education programs, um, basic standard costs, like basic standards of living, um, abolishing solitary confinement, um, things like that. So just basic, like, treat us like human beings and not like slaves. Yeah. And in so they started sort of at a grassroots level with the media because they knew that the mainstream media wasn't going to pick it up and believe them. Right. So they started with like uh, a black liberation paper out of San Francisco. They started with um, 
like local sort of more radical leaning publications. Um, and those people ran with it. And then, uh, so, you know, like the New York Times, the Washington Post and NPR have sort of been like, well, there's this prison strike. But then they talk to the the wardens and the, <laughs> yeah, the prison officials and interview. they're like, they're like, no, there's no strike. I don't know what you're talking about. Not that's not happening in my prison. They're just flat out denying it. And uh, there were reports today that at least three of the leaders of um, the movement have been um, transferred to prisons hundreds of miles away and put mm-hmm. in solitary confinement um, and have no access to communication with their family and friends. One of them has one 10 minute phone call per month. Um, he's moved several hundred miles away from Angola. Um, so his family doesn't really have um, access or resources to um, go visit and he's in solitary and he has no access to um, communication with the outside world, which is how they silence these people. And if the leaders of the movement are silenced, I think they feel like the other prisoners who are on strike will just go back to things as normal. That is not what's happening. Right. Um, It's sort of pissing them off and making them more of them want to go on strike and participate in the prison strike. So um, even though the wardens are denying that it's happening, even though the media is not covering it, I want you to understand that it absolutely is happening um, and that it's effective and that it is right. And that um, I would really, really encourage you to look it up. And if you have the resources to help some of these organizations that support um this strike and just support prisoners in general um, and prisoner rights in general, I would really, it really makes a huge difference. Um, and it's important to me. It's really important to me. And I, um, I just want you to think about it. And, and I know that we don't frame prisoners as human beings in our society. We just don't even liberals, even, even people on the left don't really think about them and don't really consider them. And, and I think that's a really big problem. And I would just encourage you to, to read about prison rights and prisoners and about, and just think critically, maybe just think about your biases a little bit. Um, and, and think about how the system is set up so that, you know, it sets people up to fail. And just because you're in prison doesn't make you any less of a human being. And the way that we treat people in this country is, um, is really, it's a, it's a stain well, we haven't even gone to the whole for-profit prison system yet. Right. Something that Obama was very keen on reforming and starting to. And then uh, Jeff Sessions swooped in and is undoing that along with a lot of other criminal justice reforms. Yes. Uh, even though, interestingly, Trump is sort of on board with some prison reform stuff and no one's really sure why. Maybe he's afraid he's going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I don't know why I didn't think of that before. I think Rachel just nailed it. <laughs> Him and his friends are going to be stuck in there. May as well make it nicer, right? Yeah, I don't um, think they really have to worry about that. But but no, I mean, yeah, the for-profit prison system is, I mean, it's it's like the encapsulation of everything that's wrong with this country. Yeah. Just the entire it, the, the inherited of conflict of interest and, and, and power corrupts. And we know that... Uh, we, we know that prosecutors and judges have been caught on the take from the industry. We know politicians take money from the industry. So it, it's just not something that can when really you, exist in, in a free society and pretend in, that there's justice. Right. When you incentivize putting people in prison via profit, then what that means is that we're not trying to rehabilitate people. We're not trying to reduce crime. We're not trying to do any of the things that we're supposed no, to be we're doing. No, we're warehousing people we're for profit. We're trying to put people away 
That's why they call it the new Jim Crow, right? We let black people live in society. We let them have jobs. We let them vote. Uh, they don't want to do that anymore, really. So, but that does, we just aren't good with that. So what if instead we criminalize them and then we stick them in a prison and then they have to do labor there? They're not in a plantation. They're in a jail cell. Yeah. But they literally have no rights. They can be retaliated against at any moment. Toilet paper taken away. I guess at Angola, the wardens are making the strikers... Um, in like 100 degree heat and 100% humidity in the middle of summer, wear the thickest jumpsuits possible. Yeah, and there was a story where, you know, Texas has been fighting against air conditioning, some of its its worst prisons in like West Texas in the middle of the desert, and they found out that like the legal challenges to not put air conditioning in is costing more than if they just put the fucking AC in. But it doesn't, it's not even about money for them. It's yeah. about... Control. And I and fucking hate, like they just, they... These are not people to them. They've exactly. been completely dehumanized. And to a lot of society, to your point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these 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 men are having to stick their feet in the toilet bowls and lay on the concrete to try to cool down from having to wear these suits in the middle of summer. It's absolutely inhumane and disgusting. Yeah, and, and what eventually happens is when you push a group of people like that too far overboard, they're, they're going to get violent and they're going to retaliate and your prison's going to burn. So... Yeah. Right Short now, of that, they're having a strike. They're having a strike where they're so, not going to fucking work for free Like, anymore. we want to go back to Attica in the days of the 70s. Right, that's why it ends the day that it ends, is because that's the day of the Attica yeah. prisoner. Yeah, and guess what? If if this doesn't work out and there are not some reforms, guess what their next step is going to be? Yeah. That. So, yeah. you know. So it, don't believe the fucking wardens. Don't believe the fucking state. And don't believe NPR because they only interview the wardens and the shitty ass Republican governor in that state right. or, you know, the CEO of the for profit prison that this is happening in because, right. you know, and then maybe they'll give two minutes to somebody who advocates on behalf of the prisoners. Right. So, yeah, listen to us. Tell me. Yeah. Look, look for the Twitter accounts of the people who are organizing the strike yep. or directly involved with them. Yep. Because the and media has been pretty useless on this. Completely fucking useless. And it's pissing me off. Okay. I think so, the New York Times finally got guilted into running a little story yeah, about it. Yeah, they did. So did the Post. Yeah. But, like, it was not very in-depth. Okay. So, moving on. What else we got? Okay. <clears throat> let's see. Well, what do you want to talk about next? You go ahead and pick. Um, let's do... You want to talk about uh, Baylor? Sure, it's football season. <laughs> Finally. Travis has a particular hatred of Baylor, and I don't blame him. Um, they, so there was a really big um, sexual assault scandal at Baylor University. And our old buddy Ken Starr was, the, what, the dean, right? President. President of the university. And... There was a massive cover-up, like, Catholic Church style. Yeah, we talked about it. There was uh, several years of basically just flat-out rapes by not just football players, but other athletes within the Baylor uh, that played, that were athletes for Baylor University, uh, raping female students and essentially getting away with it and having it covered up and lied and obfuscated. Ken Starr was forced out. Uh, some other people were forced out, but there was this big report that was done about it, and just about how like corrupt and awful it was, and how badly yeah. the victims were treated. And so the 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 students at the at Baylor um, after this report came out, well, even before the report came out, frankly, um, 
started to organize and started to um, have groups and protests and um, and meetings and and you know tried to organize and and protest the university's treatment of sexual assault victims. Um, and these motherfuckers sent in an infiltrator into these sexual assault advocacy groups, student groups, sent this motherfucker into the advocacy groups to infiltrate them to soften their message and to garner information about what their plans were so the university could thwart it. Yeah, they sent in moles to help their PR. This one particular guy. From the fallout of the horrific sex abuse scandal for which there's been very little accountability. A couple people got fired, but, you know. Yeah, but what are the policy changes? What has happened? What is it different now? No. So, yeah, they sent in a fucking mole to get information about when they were going to protest and what they were going to say and, oh, don't say that. Let's soften that language a little bit in this press release and maybe don't have that on the sign because then, I don't know. Like, And it's a dude, by the way, which... I don't know. I mean, and these are young people. These are students. These are 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds. Mm-hmm. Mostly women. Um, because for some reason, men don't give a shit about rape. Um, and this fucking dude, this white dude comes in and starts telling them how to run their own, how to protest their own oppression, which is something that is pretty <laughs> common. So I understand why they didn't see him as a mole. Um, yeah. And so this came out and they didn't deny it. No. They were like, no, he didn't infiltrate. He's just, he's a PhD and he works for this school. And they, you know, these, quote, these girls didn't have to do what he said. Mm. He was just offering some, offering some advice and some suggestions. Constructive and, and, advice. And, and he was just, you know, he was only giving us information so that we as a, as a organization could better support the students. And it's like, fuck you. Yeah. No. No. Fuck Baylor. They're awful. I mean... It pisses me off so hard. They're already just, I just, well, and then just add insult to injury. On like, that topic, fuck you. Ohio State has a burgeoning, two burgeoning scandals happening right now. Uh, one involving uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, the, the, the biggest, one after Nunes, Nunes, the biggest House Trump, uh, you know, uh, cheerleader. Backy. Lackey and and Russia investigation thwarter. Okay. Um, He was involved when that horrible Dr. Strauss molested now, I think it's up to 145 uh, student athletes at at Ohio State in the 70s and 80s or whenever it was. Wow. Uh, Jim Jordan was a coach there. And overwhelming evidence Jim Jordan knew plenty about it and didn't do anything, as is often the case. Um, and he denies it and he, you know, he says they're making it up and it's politically motivated and something, something George Soros. And, uh, he's not really paying a price for it. It's just because the Congress is in control of Republicans. They just, you know, they, they don't answer questions. They don't talk about it. His colleagues don't want to hear about it. And let's, you know, let's ride it out to the midterms and, you know, then maybe we'll deal with it then, but probably not. So that's uh, scandal number one at Ohio State. Scandal number two. Uh, their Ohio State football had an assistant coach that was a wife beater, and their head coach knew about it and tried to cover it up and didn't do anything about it. So he got suspended three whole games for that. Uh, the coach who makes shit bazillion dollars a year, Urban Meyer is his name. He's a big, uh, he's a big Christian God, Christian Holy Bible. He was loved talking about praying with Tim Tebow and. Looked the other way while Aaron Hernandez was murdering people. And well, he he's another thinks scumbag. it's fine that you beat your wife. 
Probably, yeah. The Bible says it's fine. Probably, but the point is he, he played dumb, and it turns out he knew, and he participated in a cover-up. And so now, because football is such a huge revenue sport and Ohio State is a top-five team, um, there are a lot of people who are now resigning, I think a few at least from the athletics department or the Ohio State board. Those like, no, he should have gotten fired, and the fact he didn't get fired, and there was only this stupid suspension means we're quitting. So... Lots of bad shit happening at Ohio State. We know about Michigan State, of course. Yep. Um, and uh, this is a big problem in college football. And I'm a big college football fan. But again, <laughs> this all comes back to when you monetize something and and it, it becomes – because, right, the whole thing is that this is amateur athletics and you're representing your school. No, it is a giant moneymaker for these universities. Multi-billion dollar industry. Yes, and we've had a college football player – Come on and talk with us about it. Remember our friend Austin mm-hmm. Fenninger? Mm-hmm. We could have him on again sometime to maybe catch up on all this, get his take on maybe some of these scandals. He might have some interesting insight. Yeah. Um, and But when you monetize something like this, yeah. like to your point, right, then people cease to matter. Exactly. So I could, I'm sure this has happened and, and it's happening. Maybe you do try to blow the whistle. Like we know happened in the Sandusky Penn State case. Mm-hmm. You go in and say, hey, this thing is happening. This is really bad. And somebody, a dean or somebody pulls you aside and says, look, man, you know how much revenue football brings in? Yeah. Do you know why football brings in this revenue? Because we win and we're a good team. If we're a crappier team, that means less revenue. That means that nice new athletic building that's getting built. Forget it. That pay raise that you're due. That new contract. You could probably maybe kiss that goodbye. Hey, it is not in our business interest to get rid of Coach X. Or it, it is in our interest to cover up. Like, we don't care. Like, we can get another team doctor. But if it comes out that this team doctor was molesting all these people, oh, you know, that's going to be really bad. So it's best if we just cover it up. Same reason the church covers everything up. It's bad for business because it's a business. Yes. It's a business and there's a bottom line. And if the bottom line gets affected, then if it makes the most dollars and cents, uh, sense, <laughs> the most money sense to cover something up or to ignore it or to not discipline uh, sex abusers, then they're not going to do it when there's money involved. And they don't really care about us, right? I mean, that's the, that's the thing. Like, it's very clear in these cases that women do not matter at all. They don't matter whether they're being beaten the shit out of by their husband or raped at school or molested by their doctor or, I mean, the, that's the very women true. don't fucking matter. But let me, let me point out, in the Ohio State case, um, the men don't matter either because it was mostly young men who were abused by this doctor. Oh. Yeah. It was almost exclusively young men who were abused by this uh, Dr. Strauss. So nobody matters when it comes to money, especially young people, especially young, vulnerable people. That's important. And that, before we get to John McCain, that should lead us into our next topic in that there's a big controversy in the church and Pope Francis is in the crosshairs again. Right. Well, this is this goes back to the point that I always make. And I get pushback about this, but it's fucking true. Anytime you have an organization that excludes women entirely from its leadership. This is what this is what happens. Yeah. This is what happens when you have the Boy Scouts or Ohio State or the church or any organization that excludes women from any leadership role or oversight role. Sex abuse is rampant. <laughs> You're it's just right. true. It, it just is. Well, 
uh, on that subject, uh, there's a there's controversy with uh, Pope Francis. It was, I believe, earlier this week that it was announced a huge uh, scandal of years and decades of cover up of just like so many other big dioceses and it was uh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a big report that just got released that they tried really, really, really fucking hard to not um, be released publicly, but it was. Oh, um, and they're, they're pushing back on it hard with some yeah. laughable, horrific excuse making and... Like what? Well, just bringing up the statute of limitations <laughs> and Christ. bringing up that, you know, 16 kids aren't, aren't really, 16-year-old kids aren't really kids and, and just, oh, God, just horrible, nauseating crap to try to excuse this. Uh, and now there's this saying that Pope Francis may have known or didn't discipline enough some people he knew that were uh, involved in some of this sexual abuse. And, and, and he's, Pope Frank has a, sort of a mixed legacy. He has sort of aggressively gone after trying to reform things of that and then other other things he seems more hands-off and it's kind of unclear and then this one guy that's bringing these allegations seems to have a personal, like, political thing with Francis. So, you know, I, I, again, everybody lauds Pope Francis and, like, for a pope, he's a decent pope but he's still a fucking pope. Yep. He still espouses you know, all abortion is wrong and you shouldn't use contraception and homosexuality is ultimately wrong, even though we shouldn't say we hate them, even though they are going to hell, let's be nice to them. And, you know, I mean, like, he still sucks. He's still a Catholic Pope and he's he's still still the leader of the Catholic Church, which is a corrupt, vile, abusive, horrifying organization. It's a business. It is a business. Again, and I'm going back to college football. No, it, it doesn't go under the guise of a business. It goes under the guise of the religious organization. But for... A thousand years now? I mean, this is the same... Thousands. Thousands of years now, it was a business back then. And it was a political institution back then. It was the most powerful political organization in the world for centuries. And the richest one for centuries. And it still is. And you still have the same problem. I mean, it doesn't have nearly the power that it used to have, right? It used to... Yeah, it used to... Run the entire world, essentially. Yeah, yeah. right, right. But... um, and in certain parts of like Latin America in particular, it still holds a lot of power and sway. Mm-hmm. Um, the states, not so much, uh, especially not these days. Back in the you know th- earlier days of the states, yeah. like the the fifties and sixties, especially on the East Coast, um, you know the church was the center of the community, and you didn't fuck with the church, which is why these allegations. I mean, it's why it took the Boston Globe and Spotlight to like a lot of work to even uncover it. Yeah, but I, I want to get back to that again because, uh, again, th- this is one of these things where we're just scratching the surface. And yep. I think you look at the diocese of every major city in the world and, you know, they're all in cahoots and these priests gets, get transferred and shuffled around. And you begin, you, you get a picture that emerges. Um, and, and, I, and I touched on this on Twitter with some other things too that, um, you, you know, the clergy is one of these places where certain uh, depraved individuals know they have a safe haven. Right. And that's why they, they get into it. Right. I can do this and I can get away with it. Mm-hmm. And even if I get caught, nobody's going to say anything. No, they're, they're going to, they have a vested interest in covering up my misdeeds. Yeah. So that's horrifying. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. And it, and anybody who tells you it's a safe haven for gay people and that's why it's happening, go uh, fuck yourself. No. 
Now, now I'm not even entertaining that again. The, 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 the well, people that want to conflate pedophilia with homosexuality. It is right. I want to say that different. it is absolutely true that a lot of gay Catholic kids who understood clearly that they were going to go to hell and they were an abomination joined the clergy back sure. in the day. That is absolutely true. Um, because then they could be celibate and never have sex with men and then they wouldn't go to hell. I guess what? They still had sex with men. But they totally just had sex with the other gay priests. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's lots of gay priests that had sex with each other. That's and just lots a thing. of lesbian nuns, yes. Yes, that had sex with each other. Um, guess what? People- those are not the ones that molested kids. <laughs> no. Okay, that's, that's not a thing. And it should never be conflated ever. It's bullshit. Well, it's also uh, a lot of pedophiles. In fact, from what I understand, most pedophiles don't actually, or maybe, maybe it's not most, but a large percentage of them don't actually have a preference between male no, and female children. They definitely do, right? So most pedophiles have a very strong preference for one or the other in a specific age range. Sure. Um, uh, but it's not like, like there's a lot of men who molest little girls. Doesn't mean that straight men are all pedophiles. But my, my point is pedophile priests wouldn't have access to young girls. They did, and they molested lots of them. Uh, but not as much as the altar boys and, and right. the young men. Right, in, for in, sure. In their care. So for sure. That's kind and of like, Especially at like Catholic schools, it was really um, prominent with girls. Um, yeah. They'd get called into the, the dude's office, and well, this, there was a lot is, of that. There's, I, a, on, there's a lot of both girls and boys that were molested I, by I, Catholic priests. I want to bring something up, because I, I was fortunate that I knew a lot about this from a young age, because I've, t- I've told you about this guy before. Um, before Spotlight and sort of the big, um, you know, or, organized, thorough, big story on it, there's all these little stories everywhere. Right. But they, they never connected. They yeah. always, and the church would always say the Vatican or the diocese, this is an isolated incident. Isolated or it didn't incident. happen or. This guy who was a talk radio host in Miami, his name was Neil Rogers, not his real name. Openly gay, openly liberal, foul-mouthed, politically incorrect, just wild dude, light years ahead of his time. Yeah, you know, um, would highlight all these stories and talk about all these stories. Yeah, like years before Spotlight, wow. going all the way back to like the '80s, and because they were being reported on, but they were being reported on locally, right? And then like something would get settled, or somebody would deny it, and it would go away. And he would read every day four or five of these stories. Yeah. And he'd always be like, just another isolated incident. And then like when it all blew up, he was kind of like, okay, well, you, I told you. Yeah. And and like we still haven't reckoned with it because if it was really reckoned with, I think the church would have like disbanded. Right. <laughs> like why is, why is it even still a thing? Right. I mean, E.J. Dion wrote a post in the uh, Washington Post editorial about like <clears> – uh, it's really hard to continue defending being a Catholic. Yeah, yeah, and he's a big Catholic. He is, and he's he's always big with this. You gotta get the Catholic vote and don't piss off the Catholics. And the Catholics are really important. And Catholic, and he wrote this, Catholic, like a that. pretty honest piece of like, I don't know if I can be a Catholic. I'm a Christian because I believe in God and Jesus and Mary and all the things, but I don't know that I can be a member of the Catholic Church today. And he got a lot of pushback for it. I don't know. I don't know if he did or not. Hey, but of course he did. I don't know. I didn't read any of that, but um, I I was like, yeah, good call. Explain yourself. Yeah. Decent human. Yeah, and and like you know, spotlight. It's been 15 years yeah. since that came out. So you know, it, 
it, it kind of waned and we kind of forgot about it. And then we have this like new push where like the, the old school, like horrible racist people that even hate Catholics. And now we're like in the, the position of like defending Catholics and in a weird way. And it's like, um, but yeah, this is still there. It's well, it's because it there. never went. I mean, it never really got addressed. We're uncovering this in Pennsylvania as though it's some shocking thing, and it's like, no, what? Look, it happened everywhere. I'm, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it happened and, and we, literally everywhere. We know it did because there was a network where these priests got shuffled around, right? Wherever the the spotlight, uh, no pun intended, wasn't on them very hard, like. Um, oh, like, hey, in St. Louis, just for example, like, you know, no one's looking too hard there. Let's let's send these guys down there. Right. And then when it gets any kind of media attention, they send them overseas. Yeah. And they're like, oh, OK, it's getting too hot. We got let's go send them to, to send Africa them to, or the Vatican or Eastern send them Europe. To, yeah. Yeah. Send them somewhere in Europe and he can disappear into somewhere. No. And they just molest more kids. Right. There. So, yeah, it's horrifying. It really is. On that subject, there was another crazy story that I have not been able to fully digest or even read yet about uh, kids in in uh, church run, I think Catholic church run yes. orphanages. Yes, in the right here in the United States in the forties and fifties, where flat out psychopathic nuns tortured and flat murdered. on murdered children. Yes, and it was buried them in mass graves, and nobody knew or cared because they were orphans. Yeah. And there was no like regulation or oversight of of any of it. So no, they just, because they were they just run dump by the church. orphans into this orphanage run by nuns, and I'm sure it'll be fine, right? Who who was the paper that, did, that was? I thought I want to say it was maybe the Texas Tribune or oh, I don't God, know. I don't even remember. It's been such a crazy. But week. literally, like this this guy who was in the orphanage recounts this story of this nun pushing a four year old out of a window, and he was standing on the ground, and the he describes it as like he bounced. Like, she just straight up pushes him out a window. He falls, like, six stories, bounces off the ground, and he's just dead. And ostensibly... And then they just, like, put his body somewhere. When they asked her about it, he jumped. He fell. Something. Whatever. Right. But, like, they'd stick him in closets with no food for days, and, like... I mean, like, fucking back-in-the-day Iraq War torture-style techniques. It's crazy. It's really fucked up. It is crazy, and... Uh, I, it's one of those stories I think that's so horrible and so unbelievable that the mainstream media kind of doesn't know what to do with it. Right. Like what? How? What? Yeah. Like uh, <laughs> that can't be real. And you're like, no, it can't. But we will. We will get into it. Like I, I'm gonna get back to that story and read more and look into it more. Yeah. And try to follow up, and we will deliver more about that story. Yeah. But if uh, you want to look it up, look up. I don't know. See, I, murder I of children in orphanages, and it'll come up. Yeah, because it just broke this week, just a couple days ago. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was Thursday, maybe. I started reading it, and it was. Yeah. So horrifying, and I was at work. I was like, "All right, I'm gonna have to get back to this." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. For I can't me. But, think but about we're not. We're not gonna just let it go. No. 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 For sure. And and that's the other thing too is like all of these stories, right? Have a connection. Have a link, which is. The more marginalized a population and the more no one cares about a population, the more mistreated they are allowed to be by authority figures, whether that's prisoners or orphans or, you know, poor kids in Boston who got to be altar boys or young people just generally, um, 
athletes who are taken away from their families to these compounds because they're going to go to the Olympics, so they mm-hmm. are isolated. I mean, these are all young people, and not even necessarily just young people, but marginalized people that nobody thinks about or cares about or or advocates for in a system that is not, that has no oversight. Yeah. Right? Nobody looked in, nobody came to the orphanage and was like, hope these nuns are treating those kids okay. No. And that's part because the church was the most trusted institution in the world. Yeah, they're running it. They do their own oversight, I'm sure. They're it's nuns. Fine. They're the best. Of course it's going to be fine. Who else, Who better to take care of children than nuns? Yeah. And it turns out, not a good thing. No, nowadays you can not do that. There's child protective services, which is far from perfect, but you, you can't just say I'm going to run this orphanage. There's there's a system now, and right. the state and the state tracks the children and they understand some, where they are. And for better or for worse, it's right. not. We, at least we try. We yeah. We're failing. Yeah. Of course, now we have immigrant children. Yeah. Well, that's a who whole are, other deal. I mean, but this is this the same thread, right? Mm-hmm. Now we have all these immigrant children who are brown who don't speak English. Who are just in these centers. Being traumatized. Being traumatized. No one's looking except the government quote, which is just an agency that's just torturing them. Some of these kids are in psychiatric institutions being heavily medicated um, without their parents' consent. Uh, The judicial oversight that exists is being ignored by the administration. They're just not following the judicial orders. They're just not doing it. So this is, again, a marginalized population that nobody really thinks about, nobody really cares about. And the only oversight of it is the very people who want to hurt them. Yeah. So we got a lot to reckon with, I think. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll talk. Uh, get back, we'll talk about John McCain, whose 87th funeral service of this week is happening today. It seems like there's one for him every I day. I I don't know, but we'll talk about that. We'll talk about McCain a little bit and the seeming love fest from Democrats and what that means. There's a lot of stupid hot takes this morning that I want to talk about in terms of him and then uh, some stuff on Trump Russia and some more things Rachel has to opine on. Yeah. Go anywhere. Welcome back to Reverend Testimony. So, hours after we recorded our podcast last Saturday, John McCain passed away. Yes. Uh, he was 81, 82, I don't know. He was in his early 80s. And it was, what, only like a day or two days after he announced that he was going to stop treatment? Yeah. 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 Which, you know, that happens. Yep. Uh, whatever, uh, certain point, certain types of cancers at a certain age. They kind of tell you, look, there's nothing more we can do or we can do all these horrible procedures that are going to be painful and awful and horrible and it probably won't prolong your life. Right. And we just make you as comfortable as possible. And and it's a rational choice for someone to make. Yeah. At a certain, at any point. I mean, it's a rational choice to say, I'm done. Yeah. I'm in my 80s. Did what I could. Didn't work. 
I don't want to go through a whole bunch more awfulness to have just die more painfully. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's reasonable. Anyway, so the reaction to this death has been interesting. The Trump stuff aside for a minute. Um, you know, John McCain is a conservative Republican. So we disagree fundamentally with almost all of his political stances. This is a guy very pro-war, very yes. militant, sort of thinks war is the answer to everything, mm-hmm. uh, thinks American might is just the answer to all things. Um, well, and American might is really the the defining characteristic of what makes America great. Yes. Yeah. He, that That is kind of... Where he comes from, uh, just going back to his life, obviously, he was a uh, Navy pilot in Vietnam. He was shot down. He was captured, captured, imprisoned, and tortured by uh, North Vietnamese, um, endured all kinds of horrors we can hardly imagine. Um, but, you know, even his captor said he, he was brave and dignified, and I don't know how much intelligence in terms of like what he could have given up that would have been a big help I think just the fact that he was an American pilot captured they were going to torture him and interrogate him and brutalize him because that's and can we, what happens can we just stop for a second and talk about <clears throat> the way that that the way that we talk about men in particular and torture is contributes to toxic masculinity. Sure. I mean, realistically, if you are being tortured, you are going to say whatever they want you to say at some point. That's just the way it is because the human body and mind can only take so much. Which is why torture is not a... Is not effective at all getting good intelligence. No. Um, I think we have to reframe the way we talk about torture. And one of the ways we have to do that is to say... Does it make you less of a man or less of an anything um, if you tell them everything so that you... I mean, we talk about torture in this kind of esoteric way as like, oh, they hurt him. Like, if you really dig into like what torture is and what, what it does and, and the different methods that people use, it's not just physical pain, it's psychological and it's... Um, it's not something it's it's designed to not be something that the human body and mind can endure. Right. That's the point. Yeah. Um and so I don't th- I think anyone who is tortured is brave and is um dignified and is and and we should not I don't think we should frame it that way. I know that's how we do and I understand why, but I think I think it contributes to this idea that like you know to be a, a real man, you have to do things that your your body and mind are not capable of actually well, doing. Well, well, well part of uh, John McCain's uh, sort of legacy as a maverick was that he was one of the few Republicans who spoke out against torture. Right. And that was always really sort of eye-opening to me is that, mm-hmm. oh, in order to speak out against torture, you have to have actually have been tortured? The empathy like, gap. Like the, I mean, the empathy gap. You can only have empathy if like this thing... It's like... Can you only be anti-murder if, like, your loved one was murdered? I, I don't. I don't. It's understand. that empathy gap, right? Clearly, I'm against abortion until I knock up my mistress. I'm no, against. No, then they're still anti- against abortion. Right. I'm against. Um, you know, I hate gays until my daughter is one. I right. hate. Like it's that. It's the Republican empathy gap. Yeah, um, Ileana Ross Layton is 
anti-trans until her daughter becomes her son. Right. Yeah. So that exists. But but I do think it's eye-opening for someone who is so hawkish or was so hawkish and so just like literally the military is what makes America America. And it, like bomb every bomb, 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 bomb Iran. Yeah. Remember that? I mean, literally bomb everybody, go to war all the time, do it. Him and Lindsey Graham, that's their shit. And yeah. don't fucking torture people. Right? Because it is really worse than you can imagine. It's worse than any of us can imagine. So you it wasn't that long ago, right? John McCain ran against Obama in 2008, and, yep. and they were light years apart on most everything, as yep. you would imagine. And yes. uh, <clears throat> I, I, we, we liked to think back then that, oh, good, that means our... Our vision is what wins. The reality is more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. There's the personal aspect of Obama was a very charismatic figure and a great speaker. John McCain was not. He was kind of a grumpy, frumpy old man whose campaign was kind of weird. And he and he was saddled with Sarah fucking Palin. Well, he just, let's just be clear about that. Well, he saddled himself with Sarah Palin. I, he, I mean. No, he ultimately pulled the trigger. No, right? uh, he wanted. I mean, he wanted Lieberman, which wouldn't help them. But he. But Sarah Palin tanked his campaign, period, and also led to Trump, it, period. Uh, I will strongly disagree on that first point. Okay. Um. Before he added Sarah Palin, he was down by about seven points. Palin mania happened for a few weeks because. A lot of women mostly didn't know, really know who she was. Nobody knew who she was, and including John McCain. They found out who she was, and then he was back to being down seven points, and he lost by seven points. So I, I think when you look at the polls and the chronology of the campaign, no, no, she didn't help, obviously, and she became a lampoon, a character to lampoon, but he was losing badly. They did this game change thing and threw a curveball and like the polls tightened because it was interesting. Then they saw who she was and he went the down campaign, the polls again. That was it. The campaign was just as horrified as everyone else, right? Like once the people who picked her and the campaign in general uh, figured out that like, oh my God, what have we done? Well, what they, what they did was they, <laughs> she's the sort of classic nouveau, just quote air quotes conservative grifter right who has realized that man there's there's money in in playing these uh these politics of white grievance right you know mm -hmm. it, it, like there's a lot of money in it the guns mm -hmm. grits and gravy and you know hate the gays and the that's where the money is mm -hmm. Uh, and, and she knew that and she she was about her and she envisioned her future of book deals and reality shows and all this other crap and she was going to maximize this opportunity and she didn't really give a fuck about it. I mean she wanted to win and be vice president but in, in the end it was going to be about her well yes very much so but she really um, it's interesting I she wasn't invited to his funeral and <laughs> no and that's interesting. Um, and there was a piece in the post about, um, is that sort of his signaling his own recognition and realization that he led to the rise of Donald Trump? Because when we used to talk about Sarah Palin um, and the horror show that she was as this candidate, she didn't know anything. 
She didn't know anything. I mean, literally didn't know anything. Well, it was worse than that. Like, and it, she, and but hold on, she didn't know anything. Like she didn't know anything. If you read the accounts of the campaign game change and all that, that's what I'm talking about. Like yeah. she didn't know anything, and and they had to like, and she didn't really care to know. That's what's and, what I'm gonna say. Like she could have brushed up on some of the basics. They tried, but she was also she like writing notes about like, oh, what is what Palestine? I don't know what that is. And they were just like, oh, my God. Um, no, she was very isolated in Alaska. She knew about oil and, and she, moose hunting. Yeah. And, and, and some politics when it came to Alaska. Um, right. You know, she actually maybe in some ways wasn't a terrible governor. Um, uh, but, you know. No, she was not worldly in any sense. And she didn't care to be. No, she didn't care to be. She didn't really care about knowing anything because for her, it wasn't really about policy. And when about, we say those oh, sentences... Good, now I can build the brand. And when we say those sentences all in a row, you can switch out Sarah Palin for Donald Trump very fucking easily. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't care to know anything. He doesn't care about governing or policy. This is all about building a brand. Those yeah. are all very, very parallel things. And Sarah Palin's rise to national prominence and her legitimization by the Republican Party as a vice presidential candidate and them sort of brushing aside the fact that she's this fucking idiot who knows nothing and it doesn't matter. I think there's a direct correlation to that legitimization of her and Donald Trump becoming the president. Yeah. Because that was unprecedented. I mean, and they didn't know when they picked her that she was all of those things, but they didn't change course when they found out. They decided just they, forge they, ahead. They, they fuck it. Have. They couldn't. Have. They it could was, have. No. They should have. That is the. That is the real. Realistically, maybe they. It would have hurt them. But what they did mattered. instead is they said, "We have an old man running for president, and we're choosing to put this person that we know to be completely not prepared and totally incompetent, incompetent yeah. as his number two in line, and we don't care because it doesn't matter. Because well, it doesn't matter, hold on, it doesn't matter if she becomes president because we just want to win. And that is putting politics over country. And that is what the Republican Party did with Donald Trump, and it's what they're doing today. Well, sure. And that's why every time Steve Schmidt, every five minutes, is on CNN pontificating about how terrible this all is, it's like, dude, we, we will never forget that you were the architect of Sarah Palin. That's right. And, and Sarah Palin is literally Donald Trump's predecessor. I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And But back to McCain for a minute. Like... You know what? Um, he wasn't that much of a maverick. Like he opposed torture because he was actually tortured, mm -hmm. and he would he would say he was like kind of the Susan Collins maverick, and then yeah. he would say a lot, and then ninety nine times out of a hundred he would vote with whatever. Well, I don't really like this, but it's a Republican bill, so whatever. Right. Uh, the one big exception, of course, is when the the, the infamous thumbs down when he tanked the uh, Mitch McConnell's Obamacare repeal. Yep. Um, there was a couple of other things back in his earlier days where a few. he would disagree with the party and publicly disagree with the party and vote against the party. Especially but most back in of the, the time he didn't. No, Most of the right. time he towed the party line. But most of the time is a far cry from most other Republicans. Oh, granted, yeah. But, but you <laughs> so take that's your, what you makes him a maverick. Right? average Democrat the last 20 years that they call a raging socialist would buck their own party way more than John McCain. Who bucks the Democratic Party, though? That's not really true. 
Uh, no, it, it is. How many? If you look which, at the voting which records, which Democrat? Who? Who votes for Republican bill, bills? I don't. Well, in the post 9-11 frenzy, like all of them. And then you've had other like. Oh, sure. You've had other crime bills, drug bills, security bills, all this other crap. But they, and this is a lot of reason why a lot of people are very skeptical of the Democratic Party, our fellow liberals. Like they have reason to be for certain things. Yeah. Uh, but in, in any event, back to McCain. Uh, I, I, I will say this about John McCain. Like, you know, he, he was for what this is worth, a, a war hero. And, you know, he certainly fought with valor before he was captured. And, you know, he came back and nearly became president mm-hmm. uh, coming from that. And that is a that is a, uh, an inspiring story. It is, even though I can't stand his politics for the most part. Um, and, you know, he's a curmudgeon guy and he's a hawk. And, and I, I think he would have been a disastrous president. And I'm really glad he lost. Now, <laughs> Like relatively, <laughs> relatively speaking, today, speaking today, he would have been a godsend. I, I know, I know, but still, you know, yes. shit is still shit. I, I don't yep. care if it's an eighty-pound uh, bag of shit as compared to just a little turd on the sidewalk. I don't want it for dinner either way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he and a lot of Democrats laud him, uh, and, and you see a lot of them speaking. And you're going to have a comment about Bill Clinton in a minute, which is important. Um. And a lot of people are, I saw a really dumb hot take and who was it from? I think a writer for Politico, uh, are, are, are the Democrats, uh, showing up at McCain's funeral saying this, this nice stuff really just about Trump. And it's just like, no, you assholes. If it was president Hillary Clinton today, it would be the same thing. And I would have the same reservations about the over the top lauding of this guy who was, you know, a, kind of a warmonger, not kind of a warmonger. And with a lot of regressive ideas and... And, like, I have very mixed feelings about John McCain. And I don't think that you have to shit all over him in his death, either. I think you no, can disagree you can with him. Honest. And you can be honest about his record, and I intend to do all of that. But what the president did, the way that he has handled this death, is like a petulant 14-year-old mean girl in junior high. But, but of course, did you expect anything else? I would have been shocked. No, but it's embarrassing. Else. It should be embarrassing. It is embarrassing to me as an American. It, it, is it embarrassing to Republicans? I don't know. I mean. Uh, hold on, hold on a second. You know the answer to this. No. Do you think your dad's embarrassed? I don't know. No. Ask him. My dad likes John McCain, though. Liked. But then he started talking shit about Trump. Now, yeah. N- now, now. The uh, the official policy is John McCain's a traitor. Ask your dad. Text him. Like, what do you think about Trump dissing McCain? He'll either be like, oh, he's not really dissing him, or he'll be like, fuck McCain. Do you don't think so? I don't know. I'll have to ask him. I don't know. That's the crazy thing, is... I don't know. And it, under any other circumstance, I would be like... My dad would be horrified. My dad, like, my, my dad, my, my dad, my dad served in Vietnam, of course. And, you know, he's always really liked McCain. And, you know, I would think that he would. But he's kind of given up on Trump a while ago. Right. He's a lunatic. So can we talk about this viral video clip that's been going around since he died at the debate where the garbage soon to be Trump supporter? It wasn't a debate. It was like it was like a town hall. Event. Something. Yeah, town hall campaign style event. And this woman comes up and says, I don't like Obama. He's, he's an, an Arab. Arab. John McCain takes the mic from her and he's like, No, ma'am. No, ma'am. 
He's not. He's a decent man. He's a citizen. He's a family man. He's a decent man. I happen to disagree with him on policies, but he's a decent man. And everyone's like, oh, my God, he was so great. And I'm like, that's fucking racist. I know. I know. It's fucking racist. But, but, in, but in that moment, I don't think this lady would have understand understood if he said, well, there's nothing wrong with being an Arab. He happens not to be. Like, in that moment, he was like, this is a fire I have to put out. Yeah. So because he, I, I from all it. accounts, he was very disturbed by the racist rhetoric going around his supporters in that campaign. Uh, he was very yes. disturbed by it. He was like, "We got to, we got to knock this shit out." These, I don't want these people as my supporters. I don't want to be the guy who gets elected because they hate black people. I don't want to be the guy who gets elected because they think he's a Muslim. Well, I don't me, want that. Let me let right? me go back in history a little bit. If you don't know, John McCain also ran for president in two thousand. And in the early days of the campaign, he was kind of neck and neck with George W. Bush. Yep. George W. Bush had Carl Rove working for him. Yes. And this is great. Yep. in the South Carolina primary was the first big one, I think, after New Hampshire, mm-hmm. with which Bush won, but narrowly, I want to say. And then South Carolina was the big one and polls were neck and neck. And it was vital. Mm-hmm. Like whoever wins the South Carolina primary kind of like had a beeline towards the nomination basically at that point. And Carl Rove just jumped right with George W. Bush's blessing, jumped right into the gutter. John McCain has an, I want to say an adopted daughter who is biracial. Yes. And, and I forget what the, the, the other race is, but he has an adopted daughter who is biracial and and Karov used that among other things in a series of robocalls and mailers and push polls. But he said he ha- did you know that John McCain has an illegitimate Ill- black child? Yes, yes. Illegitimate black child. That's how he framed it. Illegitimate black child. Yeah. And George W. Bush won. And oh, yeah, well, hold on. George W. Bush, yes, won that primary and a lot of people thought it was in part to that big campaign and also there were robocalls calling saying he was a traitor and smearing him as a traitor, that he gave up secrets to the Viet Cong and all this other just horrible, typical Republican shit today, right? Mm-hmm. And Karl Rove sort of helped blaze that trail almost 20 years ago. And McCain was furious. He was absolutely furious about it, but because it was party over everything, he kind of he kind of bit his lip and went and endorsed Trump and spoke at the no, RNC. Bush. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Bush. J.W. Bush and spoke at the RNC. And then come 2004, he was good friends with John Kerry. And he thought very hardly and actually kind of came somewhat close, depending on who you talk to, to crossing over and running as John Kerry's running mate. Did you know that? Yes. Okay. Ultimately, though, he decided not to, basically because... These Democrats are too dovish, and I we're believe, in the middle of a war, and, and, and we need more. We need war. more war, and they're not. They don't want to do this war wanna, anymore, and right. we have to keep doing this war. So he went so can't whole hog in for Bush's reelection. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, dude, you know, yeah, you had a chance to really stand on principle, but if that was his principle, though. That's that's the problem. That and, was and his that, principle. That, it was and, not about party. It was about he believed well, in the Iraq about, War. Also about party, right? But he believed in the Iraq War. I mean, that's what we. That's our criticism. And, 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 and that's the problem with John McCain. Yeah, uh, one one of many problems. And and again, I'm not trying to piss on the man's grave. I I credit where it is due. Inspirational story. I believe for the most part. Uh, I believe you, he was a good and decent man. I, I believe he was a man of his principles, even though I grossly disagree with those principles. I think 90% of the Republicans out there today, if they're not just crazy people, 
uh, then they're just grifters and and they know where their bread is buttered and mm-hmm. they will say horrible racist things and appeal to the worst parts of society for their brand and their career and their future think tanks and their books and everything else. Yeah, right? and for power. And for power. Uh, John McCain was not that. I, I don't think he was. I nope. just think he was a person I fundamentally disagreed with. Yes. Uh, and I would love to go back to a time where that was what the party system is. Is two groups who fundamentally disagree on the role of government, but are committed to making our country the best it can be. Yeah. And, and, and willing to compromise on certain <clears throat> things, maybe. And we can have a robust debate about the role of government, which is really what should fundamentally be the difference between the two parties. Is the role of government strictly the security of our nation and nothing else? And I know or is the role yeah. of our government to provide for and and help and lift up um, and support be, to be a community, to help people? Or is it just a personal or is it, enrich is yourself it, and your friends? Right, that's what I'm saying. No. The two parties used to be... Or in its idealized form, that was the disagreement. It was about the role of government, really, at its core. Now, it it's gone. That's not even does that's that's not even something we talk about. It's not even because we're so far gone from any any framework of, uh, of even seeing anything. The the world is not seen the same way. I mean, yeah, and, and we live I- in two different countries now, and we're. And, and I think a lot of the liberal or centrist lament for John McCain's death is about that. Yeah. Maybe not so much who of John McCain personally, but what he represented. Right. Now, a lot of our progressive friends just want to piss on John McCain and, and say he was terrible. He was, a, he was a war criminal and a terrible, awful person, and he can rot in hell and blah, blah, blah. And we don't go that far. Not, I don't want to do that. No. I don't think it's necessary. I'll say that all about Donald Trump all day long if he dies, but... Um, He's a horrible person. I think John McCain and I fundamentally disagreed on things. And if we had dinner together, we could have a respectful discussion about that disagreement. And I think in the end, if the Republican Party was still the way it used to be with people like John McCain, um, the reason it isn't that way anymore is because when you have that respectful discussion, the country's moving my way. And so if we if the party system had stayed the way that it was back then, it was going my way. I, we were winning all those fights. Yeah. All the culture wars and all the all the anti-war stuff. We, it was going our way. And so they had to just uh, blow it up and be like, it's fine to be racist. Yeah. Right? I mean... And one thing, Megan McCain apparently gave a very touching eulogy today at the, like the 25th funeral. Like There's a funeral or service every day for John McCain. I guess it's going to be that way for the next month or maybe this is it, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and... She took a lot of barbs at Trump, and a lot of people are noting that, and I'm like, yeah, so what? Next week she'll be on The View espousing and supporting all his horrible policies. She does not do that, and she's not a politician, but she also does not espouse Trump's policies. On things like immigration and taxes and She thinks that kids should be separated at the border and that we should be deporting citizens? I don't think that's true. I've never heard her say that. She's been defending a lot of that. Maybe not the worst. Maybe not the worst parts of it, but certainly in terms. I don't think that's hold on, true. Hold on, and certainly in terms of foreign policy, certainly in terms of healthcare, certainly in terms of taxes. Yeah, she. They've been. That's why they've been clowning her on the View. Haven't you seen these? This has been happening like every day for the past three or four months. Like, yeah, she. she it's personal for her. 
politics-wise, there actually isn't that much daylight. And there actually isn't that much daylight between or what is now orthodox orthodoxy of the GOP and Trump, if we're going to be honest about it. It's style Megan over McCain is pro-choice. She is pro-LGBT rights. She is not for separation of children at the borders. She may be a Republican in the framework of her dad, but she's not a Trumper. We're gonna have she's to, not supporting Donald no, Trump's no, policies, I promise okay, you. Okay, okay. We're going to have to disagree on that. And I, I encourage you to do a little more research on the things that <laughs> Meghan McCain has been... Not condescend me. Has, I, I'm not. I, I'm okay. saying... All right. Like these, I'll go do my research and get back to you. Look, I guess I've been watching more of The View than you have, which is, my, I guess, my problem. <laughs> But yeah, th- this has been happening. She's been out there defending these awful, horrible Trump policies. Not all of them, but enough of them to where I'm, I'm, I'm saying that I think her beef with Trump is way more personal than policy-wise. Okay. And style over substance. Because that's what the big problem with Trump is, right? Like, shh, you're not supposed to say the racist shit out loud, dude. I don't think that the McCains were racist, though, really, right? I mean, no. John McCain was from Arizona, but he was not... Uh, a crazy hating on immigrant Republican. Yeah, but he wasn't even in Arizona, which is pretty exactly unpopular. A big prison reformer, or a voting rights advocate, or a workers' right advocate. He's or, a Republican, but he's not. I mean, in Arizona, that's pretty mavericky to not be like fuck the brown people. Well, it's almost like we're having this argument, like from the movie last night, like. Hey, no, no, no! I'm I'm a good cop. Yeah, but you're a cop. Right? Agreed. But I don't want to. I do not. I don't think it's fair to frame anybody to to put to say that they believed in something that they did not believe in, or that they advocated for things that they didn't advocate for. I, I wasn't. I wasn't specifically trying to single out John McCain. I, I'm saying in the larger context, there's all this uh, all this teeth, teeth gnashing, and I'm thinking specifically of the Never Trump. People like Bill Crystal and Steve Schmidt and Rick Wilson and oh God, isn't this Trump terrible? Yeah, okay, but he's he passed this awful tax bill, which you would have been all for if it was Romney's. He's trying to gut health care and, and and Medicaid and Social Security, which you fools were all for before Trump. And you know he's a friggin' warmonger, which you fools were all about before Trump. And it, it's like. Yeah, the tariffs are bridged too far and some of this other stuff, but for the most part, he's he's just enacting GOP rhetoric and policies. And before Trump, we couldn't get immigration reform done, and Republicans opposed the Dream, the Dream Act. So is this a Trump invention? No. So that's kind of my point, is that like you look at Trump's unpopularity, and... I think most like people don't want to grasp this, especially the media. But a lot of what's got him in the shitter is just supporting basic modern Orthodox GOP policy of horrible regressive taxes and gutting of healthcare and hating on immigrants and all this other garbage. Like would have been basically the same under Romney in a Republican Congress. It would have been less vulgar and you would have had some less horrible shit, but for the most part, it would have been the same. And they would have certainly been nominating the same awful justices who were going to try to overturn Roe v. Wade and gut voting rights and all this other shit. Am I wrong? Yes. Uh, <laughs> okay. 
I think you're right that Republican policies are everything that you just said. Um, I think when Republicans have a chance to govern, people don't like what they do. They don't like their ideas and their ideas are bad. And that that is partly why people don't like Trump. I think that is glossing over the giant biggest elephant that's ever existed made of garbage in the room, which is that uh, <clears throat> he's surrounded. He's a he's a, a, a corrupt mobster who colluded with Russians and has has Muslim bans and like there's like there's Mitt Romney who would have done the exact same tax bill tried to repeal Obamacare um nobody wanted a fucking border wall um or called Mexicans rapists or referred to African countries as shithole countries or is just a fucking racist like calling black women dogs and like you know so it is style. I understand calling yeah. black women dogs maybe isn't a policy, but it is the president using racial epithets against black people in this country. And that is it doesn't just have to be policy. And that's not style. That's we elected a fucking racist white supremacist as the president, openly white supremacist as the president. That's problematic, whether or not. I mean, because that has real implications, right? So then we have, like, voting rights and all, I mean... Okay, okay, I agree. It's way extreme. It's I, not just fucking the tax bill no, that no, makes no, people I, mad. But it's all the, the, the... Collu- I mean, there's, it's fucking Donald Trump. Like, it's not, it's not normal. Hold on, Rachel. I agree. And I'm not glossing over that, but you brought up a really good point. Voting rights. Who was it that was the deciding vote in, I forget the name of the case now, that basically gutted the Voting Rights Act... And said, okay, we're in post-racial America. Racism doesn't exist, so we don't need, you know, to, to we don't need Jim Right, Crow John Roberts. I understand. That, and, and he was not a Trump appointee. He was a Bush appointee. Yes. So <laughs> this did not start with Trump. No, I'm not saying it started with Trump. I'm saying the reason that his poll numbers are worse than they should be is not because of the fucking tax bill. It's not. It's because of... He has fundamentally flipped on its head everyone's idea of what a president is and should be. And I I hear what you're saying about the policy stuff. It is Republican policy, but he doesn't make policy. That's why we have we have control. Like that's just the legislature that's making policy. And they, some, they are enacting Republican policies. Oh, the tariffs are all his. Right. No, the yeah, legislature is enacting Republican policies, and people don't like Republican policies when they're actually enacted because they're garbage. Yeah, the reason people don't like Donald him, Trump, they don't want him to. to the reason people uh, don't like Donald Trump is entirely separate. I think from that, maybe. I do. I think he is. He's Donald Trump. I mean, hold on a second, Rachel. Remember this: at the height of the housing crash, uh, financial crash of two thousand eight, George W. Bush's numbers are were worse than Trump's are right now. And, and, and I would argue that people, that polls, measure how many people dislike him and not the degree to which they dislike him. Oh, you're absolutely right. And that's an important point about polling. Like one thing that's being lost on this when 
you know, somebody reports that, well, Donald Trump's at 40% and 55% disapproval, which is very steady. It's like, yeah, and among that 55% disapproval, you have like 60 to 70% like passionately, frothingly angry. Angry, want to throw him in a dumpster and set it on fire. And his strongly approval is like 20 or 30%. And it's like, yeah, that's a big difference. That doesn't show up in the top. Right. Like people fucking hate him. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, fucking hate him. Sure. Like there's white ladies at work that are like, who's going to assassinate him? And I'm like, wow, <laughs> Whoa, let's, let's back there. off that real quick. Yeah, we're the anarchist crazy liberals. Here. Right. We're not <laughs> I'm not there. advocating for the murder of the president. <laughs> yeah. Let's just calm down for a minute. Uh, let's not have him be the president anymore and maybe put him in jail. Yeah. But let's not assassinate him for fuck's sake. That's really bad. And yeah. also that makes him a martyr. And that's a whole other thing, which yeah. I tried to explain. But like they, they really fucking hate him. Yeah. yeah that, and that's a really, really, really important point. I, I think. I think my main point was uh, there's less daylight between the John McCain archetype of the old school conservative Republican and and the gross Trumpian Republican of, of today when it comes to pure policy. Yes, I would agree with that. And, and other than some of the like... Pure policy, I would agree with you. Yes. And when I see people like, and and I really just, and and I know this, you know, this is an argument that Armando and I have a lot with Greg, in that Greg really embraces the never Trump Republicans, and I'm getting a little no. sick of their shit. No. Um, you know the David Frenches and the Rick Wilsons, and the, even though they're entertaining sometimes, the fact of the matter is, like, you want to complain about the really gross stuff? Okay, sure. That's problematic in the sense that you you were happy to look the other way when when there was the, a lot of dog whistle racism when your party right. But also you have like Jennifer Rubin writing these uh, sprawling uh, op eds about how you know uh, get, getting rid of Medicaid and Social Security and repealing Obamacare is a bad idea. I was like, oh, you were all for it in the Romney days. I mean, who are you kidding? And this right. regressive tax shit you've been fighting for for years. So what are you talking about? Right. Like, you know. Well, good. Maybe we're making them all Democrats. No, I don't know. No, we're not. Because <clears throat> because once it's Pence, once it's Pence, then then they're going to be like, okay, it's all fine now because he's a real he's a real conservative. Unless the the stink of Trump is too much on him. Maybe not Pence. Maybe Marco Rubio, twenty twenty, who's who's basically going to be very very close. I mean, Rubio's out there defending all his gross policies right now. So, like. The well, only other thing I would say that, that differs on a John McCain-style Republican and these never-Trump Republicans and Donald Trump, <clears throat> that is policy, is diplomacy and foreign policy. Okay, sure. I mean, it is really scary what the damage he has managed to do with fucking Canada. That Canada's a bigger adversary Australia, than Russia right now. Yeah. Right? Germany. The UK. I mean, he is... Literally just destroying our very closest allies and embracing North Korea and Russia. And like that stuff, I think that's another place where like people are normal Republicans, old school Republicans are fucking terrified. They're like, this is not okay. And the fact that he's so unhinged, that's a style point. But being so unhinged and having control of the nuclear codes, that's a real that's a real fear. It is. It is. Um, I, I, I think, and we all try to make ourselves feel better because there's 
you know, generals in the, yeah. the White House. And it's like, oh, good. <laughs> oh, good. We'll have a military coup and that'll be really great. Yeah, the military coup I might mean, ironically fuck. save our lives. No, but. I mean, no, like, that's not, that's worse. I, no, that's when I, the, no, we just don't have, our, we don't have it's a republic anymore. Then we just, we, we're done. We're done. It's over. If it's we, over. If, if, yeah, if we lose the midterms, it is. Yes. If we lose the midterms, then it is, oh my God, I hope... Mattis literally wrestles the launch key from the nuclear football away from Donald Trump, you know, and locks him up and says, we're in charge now Five felonies, you know, and then and then we have. Yeah, and then we have a military dictatorship. Yes. Yeah. At least for a while or forever or whatever. But that's where we are. Like, literally, if we lose the midterms, that's what we're looking at. Yeah. Like, oh, boy, I hope we have a military coup to at least save us from nuclear annihilation. Correct. Great. So this was a really uplifting <laughs> podcast, everyone. <laughs> As usual, right? Was there anything else we wanted to touch on? I know there I do. Okay, I, there is one important thing I want to talk about. We're coming up on an important threshold. As of Tuesday, we will officially be 90 days from the midterm elections. Okay. And there are some people that interpret the DOJ right. rule on not interfering in elections of course, Comey just shit all over that. So I was yeah, like, so is cares? that a thing anymore? Who cares? But assuming it is, there's there's, there's a lot of Assuming mixed, Mueller's not Comey. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with this idea that, well, if we don't hear anything about Tuesday, we won't hear anything. Uh, first of all, the investigation's already been announced, and we know it's underway, and so I don't know that findings against the president, because the president isn't on the ballot. Right. So I don't necessarily think that's a thing. I don't know if Mueller actually cares. And I don't, I don't so. know if that falls under that purview. And it's actually not a, like policy. It's just like an unspoken kind of like, well, don't Well, do well it. clearly, because Comey didn't get fired the second he went up there and fucked that up. Right. So, it's just sort of like a, this is a guideline. A guideline. It's a guideline. Right. So I, I don't know about that, but some people think, that's why Chuck Todd was like, he, he had, he bet heavily on, there's going to be a bombshell on Friday because of, he was thinking this deadline. And then it turned out that there really wasn't. There was one additional piece of news that wasn't really a, a bombshell. Um, but, it's just a buildup. There's right, no it's bombshell. It's just a buildup. Yeah. Until and, the report's released. And, and, and Mueller is going to work at his pace and on his terms. And he he's not ignorant to political impacts of all this. No. But... At the same he also time, understands. I think this is maybe the most important investigation that's ever happened in the history of our country, and, and he's, he's not, not going to fucking corners. rush it. He's not going to rush it. He's nope. not going to cut corners. Nope. He's not going. He to... He doesn't give a shit when the midterm is. It may take him till six months after the midterm to put it. He does. It doesn't matter. He's going to get all the information that he needs and all the evidence that he needs, and dot every fucking I and cross every fucking T. There, there is a lot of buzz that something big could drop soon in terms of. A preliminary report on obstruction of justice or another big indictment, if that may be Roger Stone, uh, that something possibly this week is going to drop. But nobody really knows. No. Nope. Nobody really knows. And we will know when we know. So don't listen to Chuck Todd and don't listen to the other prognosticators because they don't know. They're just, they're just I think trying. about Just think. Put yourself in Miller's shoes. You, the entire world is staring at you. And any whiff... Of anything not being exactly correct by the book and totally provable <clears throat> is going to be under scrutiny. Everything you do is under scrutiny. So yeah. if it's not all of those things, he's not going to do it. No, this is not like billions where, OK, I have this thing and now I'm going to run with it and no. slap a cuff. This is a like guy. fucking the most serious it gets for somebody like him. OK, so we're out of time. 
Uh, there's a bunch we didn't get to, of course. But yes. I think we did cover a lot of ground. We did. Today, uh, if our site is down, that's because we uh, didn't pay the bill. We're <laughs> paying it right we're now. busy moving. <laughs> <laughs> so we will post last week's podcast and this one very shortly. Uh, I also, we've been neglecting our email. We've gotten some emails at oh, reverendtestimony at gmail.com. Sorry, That's, we moved. <laughs> that'll be your job to check on that. Okay. At Reverend Duo on Twitter. Stay active, stay tuned, stay involved. Talk to you next week. Bye.